Listeners had a great week and weekend, as I would like to welcome you to this week's Park My Fresh Sports Log. This is your host Lloyd A. Thompson checking in, where I will spit the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Dealing with New York sports and other sports topics as well in this hour segment. Feel free to hit me up on email at Lloyd at parkmyfresh.com. On Twitter at Lloyd A. Thompson and on Instagram at Lloyd A. Thompson. Any comments, suggestions, and insults should be sent to any of those mentioned locations. And keep in mind that if you decide to insult me, you might just get one sent right back at you. <laughs> Remember, if you miss this live show, you can always catch a replay of it on SoundCloud PMF Sports with Lloyd A. Thompson. So buckle up, sit back, relax, and start spreading the news. Let's get this thing going. Yay, yay! Ladies and gentlemen, like we always do around this time, it's Monday, that means it's time for PMF Sports with Lloyd A. Thompson. Let's go. was a scene in the Oracle Arena in Golden State as the Golden State Warriors finished off the Cleveland Cavaliers 129 to 120 and winning a series four games to one capping off an historical season in which the Golden State Warriors finished the regular season at a 67 and 15 clip finishing first in the Western Conference division and having not only the best record in the Western Conference, but they also had the best overall record in the NBA. The Warriors set a record with 15 straight playoff wins and finished the postseason at a record 16-1 and for the most dominant postseason in NBA history. Better than both the 2000-2001 Lakers who were 15-1, and and the 1982-83 Philadelphia 76ers, who were 12-1. They made quick work of some really good teams during this historic playoff run. They swept the Portland Trailblazers, then they swept the Utah Jazz, and turned around and swept their San Antonio Spurs before moving forward to their crash-collision course with the Cleveland Cavaliers. This was the matchup that everybody was looking forward to seeing. This was a matchup that everybody was expecting to see. And I don't know if it lived up to everybody's expectations. But all in all, I thought it was a really good series. It were two close games. And despite the three blowouts, it was really a close series. And I really enjoyed it. I would have liked for it to go seven games. But Golden State just has too much manpower and too many 
sharpshooters and they moved the ball well. Just the overall complete better team than the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I think going into this series, LeBron James and company, well, especially LeBron James, knew that I don't think they were going to come out of this victorious. And, you know, not to take anything away from LeBron, he gave it his all. He played about as well as you can play, you know, as being a superstar and a leader of that team and still came up short. This is a team that when they lost, I don't think they really took it hard. You know, they didn't seem to be devastated. You know, they didn't seem like the world was coming to an end. You know, they just kind of expect, in my opinion, they expected it to happen. And when they took the lumps upside the head, boop, boop, boop. They just, you know, they dealt with it. They took the lumps, kept them moving, but at least they know what to expect if Golden State keeps their team intact, which I really think they will do. And Cleveland's management, you know, they're going to have to go to the drawing board and see what they need to do to keep up with Golden State and possibly dethrone them in next year's finals if if Cleveland makes it that far, I really think Washington is probably the only team in the Eastern Conference that really stands a chance of beating Cleveland uh, of beating Cleveland in the playoffs. Now, there's been talks again that, and it's just talks that maybe Cleveland needs to revisit the Kevin Love for Carmelo Anthony deal. I don't know if Melo fits into Cleveland as well as as, as well as uh, Kevin Love does. But if I'm the Knicks and the Knicks tried to make this deal last year at some point, maybe, you know, maybe Cleveland will revisit this and I'll pull the trigger on this in a heartbeat. You don't damage Carmelo Anthony to the point where, you know, who knows if he even wants to be here. You give him his wish by having an opportunity to play with LeBron James and you give Kevin Love, you know, he'll come to New York. And having him and Chris Asperzingas in the front court is really not a bad tandem. So let's see what happens in the offseason for the Cleveland Cavaliers. But going back to the deciding game, which was game five, the possible closeout game for the Golden State Warriors. One game can actually change the mindset. And game four could have possibly done that for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Because prior to all of the talk was about Golden State in a sweep. And that didn't happen. Now, the big question going into Game 5 was could the Cavaliers pull off one of the greatest comebacks in NBA Finals history? Although Game 4 was magnificently game-played by Cleveland, they still had a monumental task ahead of them. But as long as they got Kyrie and King James, anything is possible. And the way that they were playing, they had a legitimate shot. In the last four elimination games, Kyrie Irving has averaged 32.5 points per game while shooting 53% from the field and is 16 for 29 from three-point range. So in deciding games, this boy brings it. And also, LeBron is averaging 35 points per game, 11.3 rebounds, and 10 assists per game with two triple-doubles, which is unbelievable, and that's, that's LeBron-esque. And on the Golden State Warriors side, this is the reason why Kevin Durant signed with Golden State at the beginning of the season. During the NBA Finals, he did nothing but score 30 points in every game, capturing the NBA Finals MVP, which was well, well deserved. 
And last year's final, with the same scenario, the Cavs were down three games to one. And in games five, six, and seven, LeBron James scored 41, 41, and had a triple-double with 27 points, 11 rebounds, and 11 assists in game seven. After the first period... And game six came to an end. I thought that the referees were calling a very, very tight game. The Cleveland Cavaliers shot 62% from the field and was leading by a score of 37 to 33 after the first quarter. The Golden State Warriors are looking like a completely different team in game four. And game five struggling from the field and playing very, very sloppy basketball in the first quarter. At one point, the Golden State Warriors were down by eight points against the Cavs, and then somehow they went to this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde mode and managed to dig themselves out of their graves and back by the halftime by going on a 28-4 run. Now, in Game 4, Golden State scored 68 points and was shooting 52% from the field and trolled by 18 but the difference from game four to game five was their defense on their home court. And that was the big difference maker between game four and game five. At the half, the Golden State Warriors put up 71 points to Cleveland's 60 points in game fives. And in game four, Cleveland put up 83 points, I believe, to Golden State 68 points. So it was a completely different turnaround. And I was saying that in order for Cleveland to have won this series, they would have had to play on a high level for three more games like they did in a possible first elimination game. And I didn't think that they would be able to do that because Golden State is just too good of a team to allow that to happen. Now, I got a secret weapon joining me because every superhero needs to have a strong partner. Now, this partner that I'm talking about, I've mentioned him in my previous show when I was discussing Odell Beckham Jr. skipping OTAs. And that secret weapon goes by the name of the Mad Mike. Mike, what's going on, brother? I would like to welcome you to the show and welcome you aboard. How you feeling today? Happy to be a part of the team, man. Thank you for having me. Hope we could bring some some good uh, good sounds to the listeners and uh, let's see what we have on board. You know, I got that OBJ hate, you know what I mean? Uh, dude should not be paid, but, you know, we'll save that for another day. I don't know how many... Uh, glasses and glass bottles you have in the house hope you're surrounded uh you know by nothing but plastic at the moment so let's get this started <laughs> thanks man mike but i was just discussing with the listeners the nba finals and i even touched on the possible carmelo anthony for kevin love trade that has somehow resurfaced again and i just wanted you to tell the listeners your thoughts not only on the nba finals but the possible trade and what you think about if they should do it or not do it well, for starters, I, I thought that this NBA Finals uh, showed the weaknesses of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think every time Golden State went small, they were able to expose some of some of the uh, weaknesses of the Cavs. The Cavs had to sit down Tristan Thompson at times. They had to, you know, uh, play a little smaller, try to keep up and they couldn't do it. Uh, that brings me to the trade you mentioned. I don't think that 
Carmelo Anthony and Kevin Love should be traded for each other. I think Golden State showed that Cleveland should focus on trading Tristan Thompson. Yes, he's he's younger. I guess you can say he's got a better contract. But at the same time, he can't score. He couldn't play. There was one point in, in, in the series through three games, I think he was averaging something like three points and three rebounds. You can't get those kind of numbers from a $20 million player. So if, if I'm looking at, at what Cleveland should be doing, they should be looking to get more points is they should be you know uh they shouldn't focus so much on trying to stop golden state as much as they should be trying to score with them you know golden state scoring 116 points is you got to keep up these days now i'm i'm a bit more biased than you are um you're speaking a lot more liberal mad mike and i'm just gonna cut the cake and one piece and that piece is my piece and if the Knicks get rid of Carmelo Anthony for Tristan Thompson, that would be one of the dumbest trades amongst the other dumb trades that they've made as an organization. When you, If you get rid of Carmelo Anthony, you can't get rid of Carmelo Anthony for a damn bag of peanuts. You have to get something in return for him. And with that being said, I'm going to automatically nominate Phil Jackson for the Log of the Week award. Um, because I, as I touched on in a previous show, he's done nothing, but he's been putrid since he's been a part of this organization. And if you trade Melo, you have to get something in return or somebody in return that can help this team immediately. So if I'm going to trade Melo, not only to Eastern Conference team, you have to get... Somebody that can help you. It doesn't make sense to trade Melo to Eastern Conference team, a team that you're going to have to play against and a team that you're possibly going to have to beat to go to the NBA Finals or to advance in the playoffs. So you have to get somebody that can help you out immediately, in my opinion. Well, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating for a Tristan Thompson for Carmelo Anthony trade. I'm I'm saying that Cleveland should, should not automatically make Kevin Love the scapegoat. I think that uh, if you look at Kevin Love's numbers on the season, uh, he's averaging 19 points a game on 6 for 14 shooting, 44% from the field. Uh, If you compare that with Carmelo Anthony, who was shooting 8 for 19 for 43% from the field and averaging 22 points a game, the numbers aren't much different, right? We, We have a similar... Uh, we have a similar field goal percentage and similar points per game, but Melo is averaging five more shots a game. So if I'm looking at that trade, I'm saying as the Cleveland Cavaliers, that's five more possessions that Kyrie Irving and and LeBron James are not a factor in, in my game. And I don't necessarily know if Cleveland will be able to beat Golden State with those numbers. Well, do you think Melo actually fits into what Cleveland is actually trying to do because I don't know. I mean, Melo definitely is a scorer, in, in my opinion. He's probably the best pure scorer in the NBA, but I don't necessarily know if Melo, Kevin Love fits what Cleveland tries to do. I think he's a perfect fit for what Cleveland does. Now, if you bring in Melo, I don't know if Melo necessarily fits what Cleveland is trying to do. I don't know if he necessarily fits well with LeBron James and he fits well with Kyrie Irving. But the one thing is that LeBron James is a better team player and he'll defer. So if Melo is hot, because Melo's a streaky player, if Melo goes on a stretch where he hits shot after shot, LeBron is going to feed him. And, and that's one of the things that, to me, makes LeBron James one of the 
the best player in the NBA, in my opinion, is that he makes everybody around him better, and he's the total team player. You know, I've watched games where guys have been, you know, hitting shots, whether it be Love or, or Channing Fry or J.R. Smith, and LeBron James would come down the court, and instead of him having a mentality of, well, I have to get my rocks off, he'll pass the rock and keep those and keep feeding those guys. Yeah, but you you said you you said one key thing there. LeBron James has the ability to make everybody around him better. So if you can take a high volume shooter like Carmelo Anthony and, and increase his field goal percentage by by getting him better shots, then maybe we can we, instead of an eight for nineteen, we're looking at. Carmelo Anthony going 10 for 17, and all of a sudden, you know, we're looking at an additional six, seven points a game that could possibly make the difference. I mean, we're talking about who's Cleveland Cavaliers trying to beat. We, we, we learned this year that they're just going to run through the Eastern Conference no matter what seed they are. So the team they're trying to beat is Golden State. Um, if you're looking at game three, they, look, they, they, they blew that lead. They were outscored eleven nothing down the stretch. Uh, if Carmelo Anthony is is taking high percentage shots and he's making them, then that obviously changes Game Three. And all of a sudden, you have a two one series, and you know we're actually tied two two after four games. Uh, revisionist history, of course, but you, you know, I, I think if it, you know Kyrie, LeBron James, Kevin Love. Carmelo Anthony, and then you, you do exactly what Golden State did and go and find yourself a center who just will start the games and start the half, the sec, you know, the second half, and all of a sudden you are running with Golden State. I, I don't think it's out, out, you know, out of the question that that those four can play with the four in Golden State. Now you the question is age. You touched on, you know, pretty much Cleveland running through the Eastern Conference, and I really don't think that Washington is that far behind. I actually think that Washington would have posed a better matchup against Cleveland than Boston did. And then also, referring to Boston, Boston just pulled off that trade um, where they traded the number one pick to the Philadelphia 76ers. They flopped. So Philly gets the number one pick. Boston get, got the number three pick. But Boston also got some additional draft picks. And Paul George is a free agent. So if somehow Paul George decides that he wants to go to Boston, I think Paul George could make Boston that much more of a threat to the Cleveland Cavaliers' dominant run in the Eastern Conference. Well, you know, for, for starters, let's say this. This trade helps one individual specifically, and that's Lonzo Ball, right? Because... Philadelphia, we know, is taking Markel Fultz. And Boston, we know, is actually targeting uh, Jimmy Butler uh, as far as uh, all the reports are today. So well, they're also now, looking at Josh Jackson from Kansas because Boston doesn't need a point guard. You know, they got Avery Bradley, they got Marcus Smart, and they got Isaiah Thomas. So they really didn't need to draft Marquez Fultz. But the one thing I will give Boston credit for is that Boston was ready to take the best player on the board and not what they and not necessarily what they needed. They was ready to take the best player. So it made all the sense in the world for them to get this deal done. Yes, yes, it did. Uh, yes, it did. But it, 
it, let's not overlook Philadelphia gave up a lot, but the one thing they did not do is besides this year's third pick, Philadelphia did not give up any of their uh, future first round picks. They actually traded the Lakers first round pick next year and the Sacramento Kings first round pick in 2019. So this doesn't even slow down their rebuilding. Well, so uh, if you're looking at this deal, uh, I, I think this kind of paves the way for uh, Ball to go to the Lakers and then for the Lakers to still be able to target Paul George. And, and that could be the start of, of you know, a, a super team in L.A. Now, well, here's the thing. Well, supposedly Lonzo Ball had a workout with the Lakers. And from what I'm hearing, he was out of shape. So out of shape to the point where they ended up having to do another workout with him. So he's had two workouts. And because of those two workouts, the one team that his dad was, quote unquote, trying to force him into or force the team to pick him. Now, what I'm hearing is he's actually speaking to other draft lottery teams as well. So he might not necessarily go to the Lakers because I'm hearing the Lakers like De'Aaron Fox a lot and they like the kid Tatum a lot. So there's a chance. There's no guarantee that Lonzo Ball will go to the Lakers. And when Kentucky played UCLA this year, De'Aaron Fox totally outplayed, totally outplayed Lonzo Ball in that game. Yes, he did. But now we're looking at a situation where you have to ask yourself, I'm drafting this kid for the long haul, uh, referring to Ball. He seems to to fall into, I guess, a pattern of laziness, right? As they, they suggested he was out of shape. Uh, he's been he's been assuming, or his father rather has been assuming, they're just going to the Lakers, right? We're not going to work out for any teams. We don't care who calls. We're only working out for the Lakers. And then he has a bad workout for the Lakers. Uh, you know, he he was outshined by Fox. Uh, they they blame, you know, the centers. And it seems like everybody else is to blame for Ball's failures or, or struggles at some point. So now you have to ask yourself, if you're the Lakers, uh, I see this kid Fox who looks hungry. Darren Fox uh, just looks like a ball player. He looks like, like he just is getting better. Uh, he has something to prove. He showed us that in the Sweet 16 and, and, and you know, with his interviews. So now... You could make the argument that he has leaped, you know, Lonzo Ball. And that must be a scary thought leading up to the draft for Ball. You know, this is this is a place where he thought he was going. He was going to Hollywood. He was going to be a superstar. And, and now it seems like, you know, he's kind of falling into a rut, so to speak. Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I'm, I'm kind of... Uh... I always get excited about these things and I get set up for failure, man. You know, I'm like a scorned individual. You're a Knicks fan. Yeah, I'm a Knicks yeah, yeah, see, there you go. There's there's a there's a pop shot to the gut right there. But, you know, I can't really do nothing about it because, you know, all Knicks fans deserve all the, you know, the, the, the hell they get. You know, they're dreadful. They're just dreadful. So I'm actually looking. Look, at, at the end of the day, when the Knicks pick number eight, I think there should be a good player available. Um, I'm hearing Dennis Smith Jr. I'm hearing Malik Monk. 
And I'm hearing this get this guy that's playing in Europe, this young kid playing in Europe named Frank Nicoletta. And I don't know if Nicoletta is his last name. I don't care if that's his last name. I just hope that I'm not hearing his last name called in the garden come um come this damn coming season. Because if the Knicks pass up on Malik Monk or Dennis Junior uh Dennis Smith Jr., um if, if they're available that's just blasphemy in my opinion and and I'll, I'll just be beyond disgusted will i stop going to games no because i'm a glutton for punishment when it comes to these clowns but we'll see what happens i, I mean if they if either one of those guys are there and supposedly i heard that you know the knicks worked out malik monk and the knicks worked out dennis smith jr and phil jackson had meetings with them and and phil jackson during the meeting i'm hearing from both young guys they brought up the point that Phil Jackson talked about the damn triangle offense. Damn this triangle offense. I'm sick of hearing about it. If the Knicks want to run the triangle offense, then Phil Jackson needs to bring his behind on the court and teach it. And if he's not willing to do that, just do your job as a VP and do your job as a GM and get the best possible players that you can get on a damn court to win games night in and night out. Yeah, well, I, I, I want to say that I'm a Knicks fan too. So I completely understand everything that you're going through. I, I remember waiting to hear Brooke Lopez's name and hearing Danilo Gallinari. I remember waiting to hear Brandon Jennings' name and St- Steph Curry's name and hearing the likes of Jordan Hill. So believe me when I tell you that I, I expect everything to go wrong that can go wrong during the draft. Hell, I expect the Knicks to trade for Antonio McDyess in this draft, if they possibly could, because there's nothing else they can do do wrong in my eyes, or do right, rather. This team is awful when it comes to the draft, uh, but I will disagree with you. Uh, I do like the French point guard, Frank Nidalekina. I, I like him. He's a tall point guard. He's 6'5". Uh, the, he seems to, to have a grasp of the game, uh, which, you know, who knows how good he can be. Uh, like you said, it, it really doesn't matter how athletic he is. We're going to be running the triangle offense, which uh, just a couple years ago, they thought Jose Calderon was a perfect fit. So I don't necessarily think that, we, you know, a Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, fits what Phil's looking for. He's, he's obviously looking for some 40-year-old old man to come into to the draft and save our team. Well, but, well, if Dennis Smith is not what you're looking for, I think Malik Monk probably fits the mold of what the triangle does. Out of all the draft uh, prospects, he, I mean, he's rated as the best shooter in the draft. So here's something interesting. Here's a little bit of a, here's a mock draft that I'm looking at right now, and obviously mock drafts are not etched in stone, and they're not guaranteed, but I just want to run off the first 10 picks that they have slated in this for mock draft in this year's draft. So the 76ers, they have the 76ers taking Markel Fultz, Fultz, which I can see that happening, and um, they have the Lakers sticking with Lonzo Ball. Okay, then they have the Celtics taking Josh Jackson, and then they have the Phoenix Suns taking Jason Tatum from Duke. Then they have the That's Kings. Uh, what's that? That's a good pick. Yeah. Then, then they have the Kings taking Jonathan Isaac uh, forward from Florida State. They have the Magic taking De'Aaron Fox. The Timberwolves taking Zach Collins. And the Knicks taking your boy. Whatever his name is. I'm just going to say whatever his damn name is. And then they have the Mavericks taking Dennis Smith Jr. And the Kings taking Malik Monk. 
Now, if the Knicks pass up again, if they pass up Dennis Smith and Malik Monk for a player who's not even scoring seven damn points in Europe, I'm going to lose my damn mind. I, I, I would, if Malik Monk is on the board at eight, I am going to lose my damn mind as well. Uh, there's no reason that a team that as bad on the perimeter as the New York Knicks are pass up on, on a guy like Malik Monk. And speaking of uh, trading shooting guards, uh, there are reports out that the Pistons are interested in Courtney Lee. Now, is he worth the 12th pick in the draft this year? I'm not sure. Are or you kidding me? I would get rid of him. Move. Listen, I will pack his bags for him and buy him a plane ticket out of New York for the 12th pick in this year's draft. I, yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to tell me that I can draft Malik Monk and trade Courtney Lee uh, in this year's draft, then you might have to rescind that, that you know, uh, Phil Jackson as, as just being a total failure. I don't think that we can call him a total failure if he can pull off a move like this. Well, he's been a failure thus far. There's no two ways. He's been a failure thus far, and he would have to do more than just trading Courtney Lee away for the 12th pick for me to deem him as a success. He has to do a lot more. It's just like it's just like if you do something to somebody and you know real bad, and you expect them to give you their forgiveness just like that. That's not the way it works. He's gonna have to do so much more for me to give him props. Damn it! I'm just completely done with this clown. Well, yes. <laughs> you just torch this guy. I, mean, I don't even know how he, he survived. Listen, I'm going to torch him every damn session or every show that we have. I'm going to torch him because he deserves it. Yeah, well, you know, not for nothing, but I guess we can ask a fair question, right? Being that, that he's as been as awful as he is, we have very little talent here in New York. With this trade that the Philadelphia 76ers have pulled off, is it a fair question to ask if the New York Knicks are the worst team in the Atlantic Division as of today? Damn, you're going to really force me to answer that question, man. Because, you know, that's another I mean, punch in the if, gut. If you're looking at the Philadelphia 76ers, we're talking about Dario Sarge, who is a finalist for Rookie of the Year. We're talking about Ben Simmons, who hasn't played a game yet, the former number one pick. We're talking about Jaleel Okafor, who they managed to hold on to through this entire trade process. Joel Embiid, who, while, you know, he's hurt now, but he showed how dominant he could be when healthy. And now you're potentially adding in Markel Fultz to the fold on top of two first-year foreign players they've decided to stash from the first round last year. So, you know, yeah, I, I do think that Phil, you know, has kind of led us down a dark path. And as you said, uh, maybe he, you know, even this one trade doesn't get us out of the doldrums. To, you know, how do you feel about that? Well, here's the thing. I, you know what? As a, I'm a Knicks fan, but as, as somebody that's a basketball fan, I, I have to agree with you that I think the Knicks are probably the worst team in, in their division. Like Philly has leapfrogged. No, well, let me rephrase that. The, the worst team in the Knicks division are the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets are putrid. There's, new t there's no two-way. Mind you, the Nets beat the Knicks not once but twice. Not once yes, but twice. 
as bad as the Nets are. Look, I, 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 I went to a Nets game, and I kid you not, I was sitting in the stands, and I was looking at the Nets team, and their entire roster outside of Brooke Lopez and Jeremy Lin looked like a bunch of people that they got from the damn supermarket. I was like, oh, there goes that guy right there. Who the hell is that? Oh, look like they got that guy from the from the from the can aisle in a supermarket, and they beat the Knicks twice. Yeah, you know why that is, right? Because that supermarket clerk that you're referring to plays a hell of a lot harder than Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> oh man, well, I mean, yeah, I will admit that Melo is lazy. Melo is lazy, um, but at the end of the day, he's better than anybody the damn Nets got. I tell you that much. Yeah, you have that. You I, have I'll that. take. Listen, I'll take my chances with a lazy mellow over anybody on the up on in Brooklyn. Maybe I like Book Lopez. I like Book Lopez, but I'll still take mellow over anybody on the entire roster any day of the week, week, month, year, minute, whatever. I'll, I'll mellow. You know what I'm saying? Look, I gotta give mellow all the credit in the world. You know, Melo stuck around, and now he's getting a short end of the stick by that damn Phil Jackson. And Phil Jackson is trying to run Melo out of town. And if I'm Carmelo Anthony, unless you put me in a situation where I'm playing with the Golden State Warriors or the Cleveland Cavaliers, you can kiss my behind. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to throw a mud pie in your face, and I'm going to spend my my two years in New York. I'm not. He's not expecting much. He knows where the Knicks are. I think at this point... You know, everybody wants to win. He's competitive, and yeah, he wants to win. But I think his son being comfortable in New York, and you know, Lala and him has issues. I don't know where they stand with their relationship, but his family is comfortable in New York, which makes him comfortable in New York. So I don't think he's gonna let Phil Jackson rush him out the door that easily. No, I don't think so. But I think you give him too much credit. I think Melo has an ego, and I think that if if we were able to have an honest conversation with him. One of the reasons that he would prefer to hold on here is you don't want to be the guy they traded in order to turn it around. In other words, if they, if Phil Jackson all of a sudden became a genius after he flips Carmelo Anthony for whoever it may be, and then everything he touches turns to gold, and these New York Knicks somehow find a way to get into the top three in the Eastern Conference, then it looks like Melo was the problem the whole time. And I think his ego wouldn't allow that to take place. I don't even think he would open the door for, for such a, a situation to happen. So uh, while, yeah, I, I, if I'm him and I have this no trade clause that I guess I earned and I negotiated, no, there's no way that I'm, I'm letting him run me out of town. I'm not going to let him force me out of town. But at the same time, I think in the back of my head, if I'm him, I don't want this to turn around without me because I don't want everybody to point the finger at me and say, you know what? He was the problem. Well, can you point the finger at him? Because in my opinion, um, he stuck around when most people thought he was going to leave. He's tried everything. In it. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to give me an honest answer. Since Melo has been in New York, who in the hell has been the second best player that he's had the opportunity to play with, not named Kristaps Porzingis? Because if you ask me, Kristaps Porzingis is probably the second best player that he's been able to play with in his whole tenure in New York. He hasn't had nobody. You haven't surrounded this dude with anybody since he's been here, which... People say Melo shoot too much. Melo does. He has no choice. He has nobody. Me and you could get on the damn court and score 10 points, 
probably more so than what they have on that damn team. Well, well, I, I don't want to. I, I guess we're going to say Amari Stoudemire, right? Um, was the second best player he, he's played with outside of Chris Dash Porzingis, uh, as unhealthy as Amari was at the end of his tenure. He didn't stay on the here. court. He didn't stay on the court. So I don't even know. How, you know, I mean, oh, you, you're probably okay. right with that, but he didn't stay on the court. Okay, so but we can also look at other guys who who found success around the league. Uh, Tyson Chandler, Tyson Chandler could not play with Carmelo Anthony uh, towards the end of his time here. We know that there was a rift in the locker room between them, which is why we got pennies on the dollar when we traded for Jose Calderon and damn Sam, Samuel D'Alembert. We got nothing for Tyson Chandler specifically because of the relationship he had with Carmelo Anthony. You know, it wasn't only because Phil Jackson was a rookie uh, making trades. It had a lot to do with the fact that everybody knew that, that Tyson wanted out. Uh, you know, he's played with, if you, if you look, J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith reached a, another level playing with LeBron James. And, and how many years did he play with Carmelo Anthony? Seven? And they never came close to reaching these kind of levels. Iman Shumpert. Uh, you, you know, if you keep looking around the, around the league, there's a ton of guys. That, that he's played with that I don't necessarily think that he's made better. Uh, it wasn't until Chauncey Billups got to Denver where and demanded excellence of him. We're, we're talking about, you know, a former world champion and, 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 and you know, point guard and, and playing for one of the top defensive teams we've seen in, in a very long time in those Detroit Pistons that, you know, demolished the, the L.A. Lakers in the finals uh, until he got there and demanded you know, Carmelo give a hundred percent on every possession. Uh, we we never saw Carmelo get out of the first round. I mean, I think we've only seen Carmelo get out of the first round uh, twice in his career. Yeah. So I don't know if it's got to do with the second best player opposed to the first best player, which is him. If I'm correct, he did get out of the first round when he was with the Knicks one year, right? Yes, one year, and I I believe Roy Hibbert put him on a poster in his basement, if you recall correctly. <laughs> that might have been the last time we see Carmelo attempt a dunk. Well, I, I, I tell you this much. It's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens with, with the Knicks, what happens with the draft, what happens with the NBA in general. But best believe, folks, we'll continue to touch up on uh, the, the goings and the comings in the NBA Right now, we're going to move on uh, to the boxing realm. And right now, um, which is odd, this is like an important, you know, important time in boxing. And boxing hasn't been on the map really that often um, like it like it has been in the past in the Mike Tyson days and the Evander Holyfield days and stuff like that. But uh, there was a big fight this Saturday, wasn't there? Yes, there was. Andre Ward uh, was defending his light heavyweight titles in a rematch against uh, Kovalev. And it was pretty uh, a pretty dominant performance. Now this is this Ward. is uh this is their second fight, right? And the first fight I've heard reports that um they were saying that Kovalov actually should have won by decision. I I for one thought Andre Ward uh, won a very close decision in the first fight. I think that the fact that he was hurt. On a couple occasions, I think the fact that he was knocked down in the first fight kind of uh, changes the way, uh, you know, the casual boxing fan looks at a fight. I think, uh, you know, they kind of look to see who, who was a little more banged up. But at the same time, 
you know, I, I watch it for the sport itself. I, I'm, I'm watching for the science. And Andre Ward was very calculated, very, very smart in the second half of that fight. Uh, he made Kovalev look a little tired, in my opinion. And I think he squeaked out a, a you know, a, that decision. I think it was earned. I think, uh, you know, he didn't get the credit he deserved being a smaller man moving up to light heavyweight to take on the kingpin uh, when others, you know, many others have run rather than fight Kovalev. So, uh, you know, I think he was, you know, unfairly scrutinized in that first fight, which brought us to, you know, last night. Well, you know, I mean, it, it I mean, this is good for boxing and it's it's been a it's been a minute since since it's been this way and uh, and I mean also this you know this this mega I don't even know if it's a mega fight but the fight that people have been wanting to see happen is actually being is actually happening on August 26th if I'm correct and this is the Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather fight is it August 26th Yes it's it's scheduled for August 26th Now here's the thing I mean this is in, in my opinion, uh, you know, Floyd Mayweather, he calls himself pound for pound, the greatest boxer that there is. Now, you know, I've, I've been blessed enough to see Mike Tyson fight and some other fighters. I beg to differ on that, but it's, it's nothing wrong with being confident and saying that about yourself. But I will say this. If he doesn't dominate this fight. Because we know Floyd Mayweather is not really a knockout boxer. He's more of a defensive boxer or counterpuncher than he is a knockout boxer. But if he doesn't dominate this fight from start to finish, and if he doesn't knock out Conor McGregor, in my opinion, Conor McGregor wins even if he loses. Yes, I'll agree with you there. I think um, this fight is more about Conor McGregor proving that a MMA fighter, a, you know, supposed ground fighter, floor fighter, whatever you want to call him, um, can step into a ring with a professional boxer and hold his own. Now, I know Floyd calls himself the best ever, and he probably is the best defensive fighter I've ever seen. Uh, his, you know, check hook has to be up there with, with some of the best. Uh, his, his you know, shoulder rolls and head movement, uh, his ability to slip punches, uh, he, he very rarely gets hit cleanly. Um, so I don't see where Connor's offense that everybody is talking about uh, should even give him, you know, fits here. I think when it comes to the MMA fighter, one of the things that makes them dangerous is the fact that they can get you to the ground. So you always have to kind of defend, you know, their groundwork or, you know, their takedowns in addition to their striking. Where in a boxing ring, uh, I think they even put in, uh, uh, he faces lawsuits if he throws a kick. You know, uh, in this fight, so uh, Floyd is taking out every single advantage that Connor would would have. And now, if it's just his fist against Connor's fist, uh, I don't think there, there there there's an opportunity for Connor in this fight at all. You're right; he has to be absolutely dominant, uh, meaning Mayweather. Uh, otherwise, I don't think you can call him the greatest. Uh, this to me seems like an easy way to get fifty opposed to you know and, and to make some money. Well, they had they they interviewed. Uh, a guy that actually uh, 
practice or sparred. I'm sorry. They interviewed a guy that sparred against Conor McGregor uh, in a sparring session. And this guy basically said that Conor McGregor doesn't stand a chance against Floyd Mayweather. So I don't know if Floyd met, you know, there was, I saw something on, um, on a show where Floyd Mayweather was like, well, you know, I'm getting old. I'm up there in age and Conor McGregor stands a chance. Now I don't know if Floyd Mayweather, cause you know, he does every, he, he's always doing this mental game thing with people. So I don't know if Floyd was doing that to mentally, you know, think or mentally have Conor McGregor think that he stands a chance, but you know, you know, again, it's not even like Conor McGregor is one of the better. I've I've seen other MMA fighters say that Conor McGregor, uh, his 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 strength is definitely not boxing. So I mean, for him to get into a ring where he only has to box, and I've seen footage of him sparring against the gentleman that I mentioned before. I really don't see how this dude is either gonna even gonna stand a chance up to Floyd Mayweather. But Floyd Mayweather again, he literally has to dominate this fight. In order to, you know, this could this can really tarnish his legacy. This this can not only tarnish his legacy, but I think that this can can kind of slow momentum that both sports has. You, you know, we're talking about an Andre Ward Kovalev fight from last night that that was an epic performance for Andre Ward, and, and now we're we're talking about a fight that could actually just become a joke. I mean, there are reports out. Uh, one MMA uh, insider suggested that Connor will never step in the octagon again after this fight. This is going to be, you know, his his golden parachute. He, he's looking to cash out and, and never step in the ring again. Right. So now you have to ask if you're Dana White, uh, losing one of your biggest stars to put on this this event was worth it, or you, you know, is it going to be worth? the potential risk of, of losing him in the octagon. Did they, did, did they announce how much Conor McGregor's due to make in this fight and how much Floyd um, Mayweather's uh, due to make? I'm, I'm not familiar with the purses, but, uh, you know, from everything Floyd said, he wasn't stepping in the ring for less than $100 million. And if we've learned anything from Floyd's negotiations uh, in the past, it's pretty much been, you know, a 75-20, 70-30 split, depending who you are. I mean, this guy was able to make Pacquiao take 30% of, of the purse. So, you know, if he's looking at 100 Conor McGregor's looking at maybe $30 million purse plus pay-per-views. So, you know, knowing, the, you know, how the numbers work, not knowing how the numbers work, maybe you're looking at 150-50. You know, maybe Conor walks away with $50 million for this fight. Why else, you know, would you ever step in a ring again? Octagon, whatever it is. Why, why even get into any fights after making $50 million? Walk away. That's a smart move to make. Yeah, so so it's safe to say that we both think that Mayweather's going to win this fight, but in order for him to keep his legacy, he has to dominate this fight. Yes, I yes, we're, we're both in agreement. Well, I'll tell you one thing. The fight that I'm looking to probably more than anything is the Canelo Al Alvarez uh, Triple G fight. Um, that's the fight that to me, that's, that's the fight that I'm looking forward to more than anything else. I saw, I mean, Canelo Alvarez dominated Julio, um, Cesar Chavez Jr. And he completely demolished Amir Khan. Well, I'm not a big fan of Amir Khan and I hate to see anybody get hurt 
But I've literally, I thought he killed Amir Khan when he knocked him out in that fight. Yes, uh, I mean, but at the same time, Lloyd, let's we're talking about a man who moved up from 147 pounds to 160 pounds. We're talking about a man who at 140 and 147, you know, has been knocked out before by smaller men. Uh, he has a questionable chin. He's been hurt multiple times. Uh, I, I think he personally, I personally think he had a death sentence or a death wish stepping into the ring with a Canelo Alvarez. But, uh, you know, that fight only went five rounds. And the one thing that we did see is Canelo didn't seem to make the adjustments from the Floyd loss. Um, Amir Khan seemed to be able to dominate the points where he was able to box him and use his speed and movement. Uh, and it looked as if Canelo still hadn't figured out how to beat a boxer. Now, Triple G doesn't have the same speed as Amir Khan, but Triple G certainly does have the boxing skill we are talking about an olympian we are talking about you know a, a solid amateur background and um he has real power this is a fight <clears throat> that people wanted to see it's the fight to make and um you know so it'd be interesting to see what happens i don't know i mean i'm not that familiar with triple g um, I am more familiar with Canelo Alvarez, and I'm just surprised that Mayweather, which it goes back to show how good of a great of a fighter Mayweather is, he actually dominated Canelo Alvarez, and you know he actually made him look. I mean, I you know at seeing his other fights and and, and just going back and watching a fight that he fought against um, Floyd Mayweather. I mean, he he looked like a completely different boxer, but again, it just goes to show how good Mayweather is at his craft. Yes, and, and once again, like I said, he's he's the greatest defensive fighter that I've ever seen, and it's probably the greatest defensive fighter of the world has seen. So it, it doesn't shock me that Canelo wasn't able to figure him out. Um, it's it's you know the 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 defense is, is just if you can't hit a man, you, you can't beat a man, and and I just think that is is it's completely different. Triple G will be there to get hit so Canelo does have you know he'll have a better shot in this fight than he did with with uh Floyd Mayweather I think uh Triple G has also benefited from fighting the bigger men he is coming out of a tough fight with Danny Jacobs you know big shout out to Brooklyn Danny Jacobs uh you know coming back from cancer that that's that's a, another story for another day uh, I do think Triple G beat him uh I do think if we're gonna give uh, Floyd Mayweather credit in the ring for, for his boxing skill I think we have to give Triple G some credit for using his jab the way he did he, he punches uh, he controlled the, the, the pace with a power jab um, he out threw out landed and, and you know I don't think it's as much controversy and, and I don't think he's he you know Danny Jacobs showed that you know Triple G is there to be beat uh, he did weigh about 180, 85 pounds for a 160-pound weight limit. Uh, so Triple G was able to withstand the bigger man. I think that will help him in a clash with Canelo. And and uh, we'll see. Uh, th this is just going to be a matter of, of, you know, who has, you know, more power, um, who's, who, whose uh, accuracy is going to lead the way. So I, I think that, both chins will be tested in this fight. So who do you have winning the fight? 
I have Triple G. And and I'm I'm gonna lean I'm gonna lean with Canelo Alvarez only because I know more about him than I do about Triple G. <laughs> so by default, I'm damn it, I'm picking Canelo Alvarez by default. Let's go on to this to this Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, OTA thing. Um, I didn't have a problem with him skipping OTAs, being that he was active and working out with with a trainer out in California. And you uh, have seemed to, you know, you seem to, to feel different about it. Um, you know, the the Giants had mandatory uh, workouts, and like I said, you know, my issue was if he was at the mandatory workouts, which he was. I didn't have a problem with it. So it seems like even though people were making a big much to do about him not being there, which is what the media always does, when he showed up for mandatory workouts, it was like, okay, all that stuff that you was saying when he wasn't at the OTAs is all completely uh, under the under the swept under the carpet. And I, I, I would love to say I loved his damn cliques. The fact that he had a bunch of media names on his cliques with the word shh. Written on it. <laughs> you know, I, first off, before I get started, did you put your seatbelt on? No, nah, I, I, I took my damn seatbelt off. I took it off. I Give me a damn ticket right now because I'm riding without a seatbelt on. <laughs> All right, man. So here, here's what it is. We know that this guy is a drama queen. He wore those cleats that you love so much. Why? To bring more attention to himself from that same media that he's shushing. Love it. This, 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 love it. Love it and I hate it. I hate it. I hate the idea that this guy continues to say, look at me, look at me. Screw the rest of the team. It's the OBJ show. It's the Odell Beckham Jr. show. I'm, I don't like guys for that. I find it hard to root for you. And you know what? As as a supposed leader, voluntary workouts, whatever, you go to everything. As a leader on a team, as a role model for, for the new players coming in of how you want to do things, you go to everything. It doesn't matter what it is. You wanna, you, you're going to be a no-show for OTAs, and then you're going to be a... a, a 90 minutes late to, to, you know, this kid's clinic sponsored by Dunkin' Donuts. Contract. Actually, Contract. You were Contract. Paid, you were paid by Dunkin' Donuts, and Coachella was more important than the kids. The same kids that you want to go out and, and wear your jersey. The same kids you want to make you, the, you know, to, to vault you into legendary status. I get that. Uh, but no. you know what? At the end of the day... If he has over a thousand yards receiving, has over a hundred catches, has 13, 14 touchdowns, and the Giants go to the playoffs and possibly win a Super Bowl, uh, Dunkin' Donuts to me uh, can go in the trash. Excuse me, kids, for feeling that way, but I'm all about the championships. Well, okay, so we're we're talking championships, right? So you you have a guy who's more concerned. With his pay this year, with being the 45th highest paid wide receiver, than he is with the fact that his team is is, is, he, is he the 45th is he the 45th is he if he's is he the 45th ranked receiver in NFL? Matt Mike is he? You no, you can put you can probably only name two receivers that you you probably would take over Odell Beckham Jr. and that's Julio Jones and Antonio Brown. I don't think you can name another receiver in the NFL that you would take over this man. I might take 
Des Bryant. Uh, I think I'm gonna go and grab this glass right here. You got me clinch. <laughs> you got me clinching this glass right now, and my arm is cocked and ready to listen. throw it. But let's move on to to baseball as we draw near the end of this show. The goddamn New York Yankees, man. I can't believe it. And the goddamn New York Mets. I touched on the Mets having to do well or showing some grit against tough opponents, and they did the complete opposite. And then I said, I mentioned something about the Yankees having to take care of business against the California, the Anaheim Angels and the Oakland Athletics, and they got swept by the Oakland Athletics, and they lost two out of three to the, to the Anaheim Angels, losing six games in a row. They was three games up and six games up. Now they're two, uh, I think it's two games up, and everybody else is gaining ground on the Yankees. I, this is just has been an unbelievable stretch for the Yankees, and I know it's still early in the season, and I knew they were going to hit this wall, but I'm going to nominate the Yankees for the uh, give them a nomination for the Log of the Week award because their bullpen has been dreadful. Masahiro Tanaka continues to be dreadful. The Yankees are hitting and they're scoring runs, but losing six in a row to teams that you need to beat and getting swept by the Oakland Athletics is absolutely ridiculous. Over the last ten games, the Yankees are four and six. Now, mind you, they're not even two games up. They're a half game up on the Boston Red Sox, three and a half game up on the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, four and a half up on the Orioles, and five and a half up on the, on the Toronto Blue Jays. This is this just can't happen. They need to get something together. I think I understand pulling the trigger is a little bit too soon, but Cashman, obviously they need help in the bullpen, and Cashman needs to go out and make this happen. This brings us to our final segment in which I give out the Log of the Week Award. And that award goes to the New York Yankees for losing six games in a row and getting swept by the Oakland Athletics and having a three-game lead trimmed down to a half-game lead. New York Yankees, go over there and sit on a damn log. Listeners, thank you for hanging out with me for another week. Until we meet again, guys, please be safe. God bless, and I'm out. Ayo! Let's roll! Yes, sir. Listen, every Monday, every single Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Part of My Fresh Radio, is PMF Sports with Lloyd A. Thompson. Now, make sure you follow him across all social media. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, everything, at Lloyd A. Thompson. Check back next Monday, 1 p.m., brand new show. You already know what it is. PMFRadio.com. Make sure you download the app. It's completely free. We out.